0: What up. Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It's October 4th, 2023, International Taco Day or National Taco Day. I don't know what the fuck, but either way, I didn't have a taco. Uh, very rare for me to not celebrate a holiday linked with food. But slowly over time, I've kind of realized there's too many holidays. I like Halloween and the 4th of July. Christmas, okay, we'll, we'll keep Christmas, but... Yeah, if I, was, if I was in charge of holidays, we would not have as many. Anyways, theme of the episode today is a party and a country in chaos. The Republican Party especially in chaos, but the United States just kind of slowly descend, descending, I can't speak, into madness, chaos, whatever. You know, there's CNN, right? Well, maybe I should start my own network, BNN, the Bleak News Network. Because I I don't know if I ever really talk about happy stories, but I guess today we'll try to make light of a very not happy story, so that could be fun. But anyways, I want to talk about the Republicans getting petty after the ousting of Kevin McCarthy. I want to talk about Steve Bannon's connection to basically the ousting and all of that. And I also want to talk about Trump as Speaker? What? Alex, what are you talking about? And then I do want to get into a clip from my favorite kind of independent media podcast group, The Bulwark, who have an interesting conversation today about kind of where we're at and maybe we shouldn't worry too much about Trump, but also we are in kind of the late stages of Rome at the same time, but the Republican Party's not serious. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. So we'll get into all of that. But first, I guess it's time to talk about Kevin McCarthy again. As I mentioned yesterday, he gave... (laughs) A pretty unique press conference. I didn't feel too bad for him. Instead, I kind of felt a sense of schadenfreude, as always. And um, I don't know. I mean, I did find it kind of entertaining that he basically said he's seen the text. This is all about himself and about recognition and publicity for Matt Gates. He also attacked Nancy Mace. Uh, her situation is more fascinating to me because she's not part of the Freedom Caucus. She's not what I would call a right winger. But it's clear that she also had personal just grievances with McCarthy. And she's in kind of a pretty safe district, but also with some support from Biden voters. And I actually think probably her calculation was that, look, I can vote to oust McCarthy, excuse me, to oust McCarthy. And that'll be fine, because there's a lot of Democratic support I have in my district, and they're not going to care either. And I find her very interesting. She's kind of got a little more wild, a little bit more emboldened. Anyways, the Republicans are still in power. And it seems to me like they just have no fucking idea what to do next. So they are instead just pointing fingers at Democrats and also just getting really petty. And I want to talk about how they are just getting petty. And it's, it's kind of funny. So basically... North Carolina representative Patrick McHenry is the speaker pro tempore, and <laughs> he didn't hold a vote or any conversation about what's next, like how do we keep Congress going, how do, we, how do we resolve debt, how do we deal with inflation, how do we maybe deal with the border and Ukraine, nothing like that. He decided to prioritize <laughs> kicking Nancy Pelosi out of her office. Probably the most important issue of the day, kicking Nancy Pelosi out of her office. CNN has a pretty funny article on this. It writes here in quotes, Just after 6 p.m. on Tuesday, as elected officials should have been scrambling to figure out how to stabilize a fundamentally destabilized Washington, former Speaker Nancy Pelosi received an email informing her that the Republicans were going to reassign her office space for speaker office use. Please vacate the, the space tomorrow. So basically, a little background on here is the former speaker is able to retain an office in one of the other buildings in the complex, kind of near the chambers. And she's been away at Dianne Feinstein's funeral, I guess it was, service, whatever you want to call it. And they basically want to give Kevin McCarthy her office, which I guess in a sense makes sense because that is what happens. You know, you give the former speaker the office, at least from what I've understood on this. But then at the same time, there is something ironic about McCarthy losing his spot because of a motion to vacate. And now they're basically sending her a motion to vacate via email. And when I say vacate, vacate her office. And now I've heard some interesting speculation about how maybe Pelosi didn't rush back for this because she obviously would have been there if she wanted to be there. Maybe she didn't rush back for this vote out of some higher understanding of just decorum and morality. She was former Speaker. McCarthy was, was the Speaker at the time. Maybe she just wanted to go above politics, supersede the chaos, and not vote him out. Maybe she wanted to stay out of this one. I don't know if that's true, but I think it's an interesting theory I've seen different articles talk about. And if that's the case, what does she get in return? Republicans telling her to vacate her office. Now, from my understanding, McCarthy was behind the move to kick Pelosi out of her office space. This was according to two Republicans talking to CNN. Um, they were not, their names were not given, but that's the report. And I mean, I guess if you're a small, petty man who just was a striver that just really wanted to be Speaker, you lose your job, so you you, you got to take it out on someone, right? So you take it out on the Democrats, on Nancy Pelosi. And going further, you have Louisiana Representative Garrett Graves. He told reporters that the office is for the preceding speaker. So he's defending McCarthy saying, yeah, that makes sense, right? You, you give it up to the previous speaker. Um, but then a source close to Pelosi has told CNN that this was retaliation for Democrats voting against McCarthy in the speaker's vote on Tuesday. It's probably a little bit of both here. I'm sure they could have at least waited like 24 hours to do this, right? And again, I think this just shows that the Republican side of the House is completely lost, shocked, and they're going to get petty. It really seems to me like they are going to get petty. And I guess the other thing here is that I find it kind of fascinating that they keep turning the blame for the ousting of McCarthy on Democrats, the Democrats had no reason to support him. He wasn't trustworthy. He retconned January 6th. He gave Tucker Carlson all this footage. He's the one that went to Mar-a-Lago to shake hands with Trump and basically bring him back on on board with the mainstream Republican Party. And there was no reason for them to support him. It's not their obligation to support him. It was his own party, right? And so I think turning the blame on Democrats and now doing all these petty lash outs against them. It's very fitting for the current GOP. I guess that's what I would say. It's deflect and project, but not face yourself in the mirror and try to face why the party seems to be crumbling all around you. Now, I could rant all day about how I think a good politician has to do more than just try to hold on to office. McCarthy never did this. We could speculate about, is it going to be Representative Scalise? Jim Jordan, maybe Elise Stefanik. We could we could rant all day about it. I'm not going to though because <laughs> there'll be plenty more to talk about. But what I did find interesting was a New York Times article I read earlier and it talked about how this is a victory for Steve Bannon and it really describes how Steve Bannon has been successful in almost creating this parallel I don't I'm reluctant to say alternative universe but a parallel universe to what's happening in Washington in mainstream media. And he has become the main microphone for people like Matt Gates. And what I mean here is that all of us think Matt Gates seems like a batshit crazy creep who might also be a sexual pervert, allegedly. But if you are a fan of Steve Bannon's War Room podcast, which I listen to, I hate it, but I listen to it so you don't have to, Matt Gates is a star on that. Even Nancy Mace is slowly becoming a star. Basically, I would say the test here goes, if you're hated by the mainstream media, or they think you're crazy, or the establishment thinks you're, thinks you're crazy, you're most likely going to be very popular in Steve Bannon's universe. And he's very well listened to. He's very popular. And he was very involved, I think, in this uh, Matt Gates coup that happened and succeeded. And I... I think more people should be talking about Steve Bannon. I've I've tried to cover him a lot over the years mainly because I think people don't give him enough credit for how um, influential he was in the early Trump years around the world involving like the Vox and Front National movements, uh, Victor Orbán. He is a very involved nihilistic right-wing populist who almost has like Leninist instincts. I know that was a lot of ists. There, But I do think it's the case. And so anyways, the New York Times had a good article out today that talks about the Bannon connection to Matt Gates's coup. And it talks about how this morning, you had Nancy Mace, and Matt Gates basically topple Kevin McCarthy, and then make a trek to an old house about a few blocks away from the Capitol. And they went there to meet with Steve Bannon and meet him in his studio. I didn't know his studio was so close to the Capitol, but it kind of makes sense. Like he's literally parallel to the Capitol, running a parallel universe media company that wants to bring down Washington. It kind of makes sense that he's like down the street from the actual Capitol and he has his own quasi media ecosystem there. It's so damn fitting. And it just kind of came to me as I was reading this. But, anyways, The article writes, Representatives Matt Gates of Florida, the instigator of the rebellion, and Nancy Mace of South Carolina, one of the seven other Republican defectors, huddled with Mr. Bannon for a morning meeting ahead of a joint appearance in his War Room podcast. (sighs) By the way, I I used to like Nancy Mace. The fact that she goes on this and thinks it brings her clout really bums me out. I can't even explain to you the extent that bums me out, but I will digress. (laughs) The article continues from this cave-like studio, not far from where Congress meets, Mr. Bannon, the former Trump advisor, has been stoking the chaos now gripping the Republican Party, capitalizing on the spectacle to build his own following and using his popular broadcast to pop up, prop up sorry, and egg on the GOP rebels. Mr. Bannon represents a clear through line from the grievance-driven MAGA base to Congress, and his role in the meltdown that played out this week in the House helps explain why the Republican Party appears to be eating its own. He is a vital part of the feedback loop of red meat media and social media posts. <laughs> and see again, we think Matt Gates is crazy, but this article talks about how he helps boost Matt Gates and people like him. On his show, he devotes a lot of time to getting small dollar fundraising going. He participates in calls with members and donors and maybe like outsiders as well. He also kind of offers strategic advice, much like Fox News would do with Trump. He does with the Matt Gates types, the Marjorie Taylor Greene types. He also spounds, spends a lot of time attacking Fox News hosts. And I guess at the end of the day, he also offers an unfiltered platform. And what I would say, too, about Steve Bannon is this guy is a workhorse. There's some days where I'll go on my podcast feed to just listen to what he's saying. And he'll have like three episodes out, and it's only like 2 p.m., he puts out a shit ton of content. And a lot of it is insane. Actually, pretty much all of it is insane. But he brings on pretty much everyone in the MAGA universe. And it almost feels like an Avengers type of scenario where, he, where, you know, Marvel has Avengers, Steve Bannon has the MAGA people, and they all kind of assemble and come together on his show. And yeah, at the end of the day. The Bannon universe, the MAGA universe, I think they're cheering on Matt Gates, And, you know, I, I find Bannon to be more fascinating than some of these other grifters because he is such a nihilist and he is literally, he's kind of like the antithesis of Vladimir Lenin. He's a right-wing Lenin. He literally wants to dismantle the administrative state. And he kind of just wants to do it, and I think he could if he keeps having such a propagandist, disinformation voice. And honestly, what this really shows me is that we just have two completely different media ecosystems. So, like, one person can say, oh, this is all crazy, like, where are the facts? And then at the same time, you have Bannon's network basically saying these people are patriots, they're heroes. I don't know really how you create a successful and cohesive society when you do have parallel movies running at the same time and they're opposed to one another with narrative. Moving on, I want to talk about something that I would argue is completely batshit crazy, but it is happening, or at least conversations are happening, and this is the fact that there are Republicans that want to make Trump Speaker of the House. This has been peddled before, I think it was back I want to say early 2021. They were talking about how okay, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was late 2021, early 2022. Trump's not president, Trump still has influence and they're like maybe Trump can be speaker. And even people like Matt Gates at the time were talking about this, but I should note that the speaker actually the speaker of the house that is does not have to be a member of Congress. There's actually never been a speaker of the house that's not been inside of Congress at the time that's not holding a seat. But technically, the speaker could be anyone. Like, I could try to run for speaker, and if the House at least holds a vote and there's enough of a vote, I could be speaker. And in this case, Republicans are talking about making Trump speaker. And so basically, there's a Republican from Texas, and he said he would nominate Donald Trump to be the next speaker. And this is a guy, Troy Nels, and he said this week in quotes, When the U.S. US House of Representatives reconvenes, my first order of business will be to nominate Donald J. Trump for Speaker of the House of Representatives. And going further into this, we do know from court documents that Trump and Sean Hannity talk a lot. And I think it was last night on Sean Hannity's show... He also weighed in on this and talked about how, hey, this could maybe happen. Let's give that a quick listen. Sources telling me at this
1: hour, some House Republicans have been in contact with and have started an effort to draft former President Donald Trump to be the next speaker. And I have been told uh, that uh, President Trump might be open to helping the Republican Party, at least in the short term, if necessary. uh,
0: And yeah, anyways, I mean. This one is kind of interesting to me because in the past, Trump has said, no way, I'm not going to do this because I don't think Trump sees the speakership as an attention position. Like Trump wants to be in the spotlight. He wants to be president. But we also do have to remember that Hannity and Trump are close. They talk. And if anyone is going to say Trump is considering it, it would be Sean Hannity. And I'm I'm assuming Trump was probably watching this as well. He usually does watch Hannity. We know that, like I said earlier, from just the record. But it's an interesting concept to play out. And I think it's also interesting that Hannity notes that, yeah, Trump's not going to be speaker long term, but maybe this could actually help bolster him a little bit while he's running for president. Guys, I'm not going to lie. If Trump somehow becomes speaker while he's running for president— That's going to fucking help him. Well, it could also hurt him if he's really crazy as speaker. Maybe it could backfire. But at the same time, imagine the GOP divided. All the reports are that they're just divided amongst each other, angry at each other, pointing fingers. They're locking Pelosi out of her office now because that's all they can do. Imagine if Trump comes in. I would guess overnight that unifies the caucus, except for the obviously non-Trumpers. But then you have to wonder, I mean, there's reports that Scalise... Jordan, others want to run. Do they just go along with this? I have no fucking idea. But there's also then the reality of this. I don't know if Trump could legally do this. We have to remember 91 indictments and counting civil fraud suit going on. All this fun. And there's a guy named Sean Caston, Democratic congressman from Illinois. And he actually doesn't think this is possible because House Republicans actually have a rule that could maybe make Trump not able to do this. He's he says the rule in quotes, "a member of the Republican leadership should step aside if indicted for a felony for which a sentence of 2 or more years of imprisonment may be imposed." I think that does check the boxes for Trump's current situation. But then again, we know that the Republican Party, especially in the House, has broken away from norms and standards. It's a circus. I don't know if this is actually a law or something constitutional or if it's a norm, because as I've talked about, Trump is a norm buster. Anyways, either way, it's kind of an interesting thought experiment. Trump, Speaker of the House, not a member of the House. No one's ever done it before, but again, everything right now is unprecedented, so nothing would really surprise me at this point. And they're all throwing mud. It's chaos. Maybe there are some people that I would call accelerationists, that think Kevin McCarthy, and these are mainly people on the left or on the center or the never Trump side, that say, you know, Kevin McCarthy, he actually worked with Democrats a couple times. He was a little bit too moderate for the insane MAGA base, even though McCarthy kowtowed to Trump. Maybe they just deserve the crazy guy out in the limelight, talking all the time, Speaker of the House. Maybe they deserve the crazy so the public can see how crazy it is. Who knows? Who knows? But it's all a circus. Now, for the rest of this, as you guys know, I'm a big Bulwark fan. And today on the Bulwark, Charlie Sykes, the host, had on Tim O'Brien, Bloomberg writer. Yeah, Bloomberg writer. And he wrote, he, he's kind of considered a Trump whisperer. He was talking about Trump in the 90s and early 2000s. He knows a great deal about what Trump stands for and all of his business interests. That's a conversation for another time. But I want to play this clip where I think he properly describes how crazy things are and how it does seem like we've gone past our civil norms and how the house is supposed to be run, and it does kind of give parallels to kind of the fall of Rome. So let's listen to that. I'm going to play another clip in a little bit, but let's start with this one.
1: How bad is it, Tim? I mean, we're 40, 44 days away from another another government shutdown. I mean, what? what, what? Well, I'm, I'm, this this I'm is not going to get feel... fixed, you know. No, it feels to me like late— late stage rome Mm. you know with with sort of you know trump is caligula um you know you know we're again the the processes of good governance and of civil society are getting really undermined and 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 amid the tragic comic kind of lunacy of events like (laughs) what just happened to kevin mccarthy is i think a reminder that we're heading in 2024 to a very difficult place i worry about violence particularly in the swing states. You should be. Um, I don't know where we get voters and the public to focus on the fact pattern and have disagreements about what to do with the facts if you're conservative or liberal, Mm -hmm. but to at least acknowledge there's a common set of facts. I think we're surrounded by disinformation.
0: Now, this this is not a rosy picture that O'Brien puts out here, but I can't help but agree. It does seem like Okay, there's so much chaos, and it's kind of funny, and Trump is kind of a buffoon, a reality star, but the heat of it all is that we've lost our norms, our civil society is crumbling, and we always hoped, I think, that the House was going to maintain some sense of decorum, and as I've talked about throughout the rest of this, po- uh, this podcast episode up to here— It just seems like, yes, there's a lot of disinformation. You can thank Steve Bannon and other outlets for that. But there's also just this sense of like, we can't govern. So we're just going to kowtow to Trump, but also just make all of this about projection and deflection. And it's kind of dangerous. Now, I want to play this other part of this uh, podcast episode where O'Brien does talk about how this could help moderates and Democrats, and it could help Joe Biden mainly, Because I think a lot of Americans will see this as a circus. And for Kevin McCarthy's defense, actually, I think he saw this as a circus. That's why at the 11th hour, he was meeting with Democrats. He was trying to not shut down the government. And he understood that the Democratic Party is optically looking better than the Republicans right now. And a lot of swing voters probably see that, too. So let's listen to what O'Brien says here, and then we'll talk a little bit on the other side.
1: I still believe though. That, you know, the polling that has Donald Trump out in front is MAGA movement polling. I think there's, there's a certain amount of that is informed by the most likely people to respond to polls hmm. Hmm. Who, are, who, are, who are, I think, akin to the most passionate voters that come out in primaries. And I think there's this, as there always is in U.S. politics, this broad middle ground of voters who Trump, you know, pierced the veil on that group in 2016 enough to squeak by Hillary Clinton. But he never did again after that. He didn't in in 2018, 2020 and 2022. And he's not he and his cohort in the in the GOP are not doing anything to court that group. They see this. They see this three ring circus. They're not governing. You know, the the putative leader of the GOP is in a courtroom attacking a clerk. Yeah, The, the speaker of the House is 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 being guillotined by his own members and Biden passes drug price control.
0: So there's a lot in this. And I think O'Brien is probably correct here when he talks about how this circus is not a good look for the Republican Party. He's also correct to identify that, you know, Trump was able to appeal to horseshoe voters, disenfranchised liberals in 2016. But since then, he's really not been effective at gaining any of that vote again because after his first four years in office a lot of people know what he does they've seen what he's selling and they're not for it and i think that's a good point where i would push back on this is that i talked about steve bannon earlier and basically his alternative narrative and how he's made stars out of people like matt gates see the thing is is i think a lot of the maga universe they're not as much about the majority anymore They're about convincing the American population that it's hopeless. A lot of democracy doesn't die because the crazy person keeps winning. Democracies can die when the sensible moderates are tired of having conversations. And I've grappled with this a lot. But the thing is, is that if a lot of people just go, it's all crazy, I don't know who's crazy, I'm just going to check out then it's better for the Steve Bannon's who actually have an audience and they have people engaged and that's where I think you could see some troubling affects and just reactions down the road and that's what really troubles me I think is that I think some of the more extreme parts of the country are more engaged and activated than the moderates because there's a lot of people that just and I talk to them on a day-to-day basis a lot of people just say I'm tired of politics they're all bad Yada, yada, yada. And I understand that sentiment, believe me. But that's how you lose a democracy is when the people that actually have important points give up. And yeah, I'm sure that a lot of people think the MAGA caucus and the Republican House and all of this is crazy. But it just turns into basically which side can control the narrative. And I do think that the MAGA right is better at controlling the narrative. And also we have to remember that the Matt Gates types, they're fine with the chaos. The chaos is kind of part of what they're selling because they want to show that the house is incompetent and corrupt. And sometimes Matt Gates is correct on that. Of course, his answers and prescriptions are completely incorrect, but sometimes that substance or nuance is kind of lost. And that is what troubles me. And I like, I like Tim O'Brien's positivity here. And I, I don't think he's totally wrong. And maybe in a general election, he is correct. But I just can't help but worry about, okay, for the last two days, they've talked about the chaos in the House. But now even the center left is finally recognizing that Biden looks his age and there is some decline there. And the right is focusing on that. Plus, you have Chinese interference, reports about Chinese interference in the 2024 election. Russia obviously would prefer Trump to win. The House now and the Senate, it looks like Republicans are turning on aid to Ukraine. It looks like a lot of the Biden initiatives and agendas might be stopped, cold. And I just worry that even though it's clear that the Republican side has gotten crazier and less productive, it's all about narratives. And I'm worried that the Steve Bannon narrative, along with the mainstream media kind of recognizing that Biden is starting to age, that truly could coalesce into just basically the deck being stacked against him. And that worries me. So a a lot to think about. But what I will say is that all of this, it's worse than a circus, because in a circus, you pay to go there and you understand that they're all clowns and there's acts going on. But in the House... Calling them clowns, I think's a disservice to clowns. <laughs> we'll end with that. Uh, let me know your thoughts. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Yada, da, 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 da. Have a great night. Adios.